The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. This is episode 14. This is Chad Young here, joined as always by Pete Ball. Very excited to be coming to you today to talk about one of my absolute favorite topics, rebuilding. I know it seems crazy because who wants to think <laughs> about rebuilding? That just means everything's gone wrong this year, but I love it. It's one of my favorite things about Keeper Leagues. It's one of the things that really sets Keeper Leagues and redraft leagues apart. It's the reason I play Keeper is because it gives you the ability to do this. And I don't know about you. Do you feel as as, as much joy towards the rebuild as I do? Uh, I mean, I, I, it's kind of a sad process when you have to go through it, but I, I do. I do enjoy it. Like, I was so thrilled to take over that Ott new team when I saw that pitching because I was like, oh, baby, here we go. I have something to really sink my teeth into and and dive in. And it is early, Chad, but we definitely have listeners who have Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and Christian Yellick in the outfield or, or something along those lines, and Strasburg. There's been a ton of injuries, so it's time to start thinking about it. Yeah, there's a ton of injuries. I also think you know different leagues work different ways and different formats work different ways, but if you're in a league where people rebuild early, especially leagues with a lot of keepers, auto new leagues certainly work this way. I'm in another league that has 14 keepers on a 25-man roster. There are a limited number of teams that are going to be buying during the year. And if you want to rebuild, you want to be selling to those teams early when they have all of their best young pieces to come back to you. You don't want to wait for them, you know, especially league where teams are carrying prospects. Don't wait for someone to trade Wander Franco or Jared Kalenic to someone else. Like act now and go get those guys. It isn't too early to do that. I think the big question though is how do you do it? And we'll get into that in a minute. But I think where we really want to start is talk a little bit about formats. Are there formats, Pete, that work better for rebuilds or, or where rebuilds are just not an option? Yeah, well, you know, we've talked about this in the past, Chad, but like shallow keepers, right? I mean, so I'm, I'm actually going to push back on the idea that you can't rebuild's probably the wrong term, okay? Because you, you, you're not rebuilding anything. You're, if, you, if you keep like three or four players, I mean, you, like you've always said, you can find those players. But that doesn't mean that like if you're, if you're out of it in a three or four keeper, don't just sit on your hands. I mean, those three or four spots, you could seriously upgrade them. That guy who's in contention, maybe he doesn't want to trade you Ronald Acuna Jr. But if all of a sudden you're offering, I don't know, Garrett Cole and Jordan Alvarez for Ronald Acuna Jr., well, that's a haul. And for a guy who's trying to compete, maybe he says yes. And who knows, maybe Jordan Alvarez with his DH eligibility was on the on the 
fringe for you. Like you're, he's very talented, but I don't know if I'm actually going to keep him. Well, in that case, you weren't even keeping him probably. And now you've upgraded from Garrett Cole to Ronald Acuna Jr. Maybe it's not the best example. You know me. Maybe I'd rather keep Garrett Cole. I wouldn't. Of course. Right. right. I wouldn't, but maybe. But like those opportunities are going to be there where you can still upgrade a keeper spot. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that that sometimes a marginal upgrade like that can make a big difference. I think maybe a maybe a better example is someone who has Bellinger or Yelich and doesn't want to wait on them coming back. Can you give them somebody who is 90% of Bellinger or Yelich and a pitcher and someone else? And, and especially like if you're only keeping three, whatever that and is, is not a keeper for you. So find some top 50 starting pitcher who you would never keep, but you are very ha- someone would be very happy to have this year. Pair them with an outfielder who is half a step down from Bellinger and make that trade offer. The other, the other manager would be sort of crazy not to take it if they're competing because who knows when they're going to get Bellinger back plus they get this start top 50 pitcher out of it. And yeah, all you've done is move yourself from maybe the 15th best outfielder to the 8th best outfielder. But that's a big change. And if you can yes. do that, if you could do that with all three of your keeper spots in a three keeper, you can really make a difference there. So I think that that's a, that's a really good call. It's, you're right. It's not a rebuild. And it, you're not building in a three keeper. But there are things you can do when you're out of it that are not a waste of your time and can make a big difference. And I think you make such a good point about seizing. I, I think... I don't know how long Bellinger's going to be out, and I don't want to open up this whole can of worms with Yellick. But now it, it's real concerning now. But if you trade for Yellick because you're out of it, you're what do you care? Like he can miss another three months. Who cares? You're right. going to get Christian Yellick at some point. So I that is an opportunity to seize 100. percent Yeah. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I think where there's more opportunity to rebuild are those leagues with with more keepers, right? Because all of a sudden, if you're keeping 15 in an auto new league, you might keep 20 to 30 or more. That makes a really big difference. And and all of a sudden, then you can start rebuilding with prospects. You can rebuild with guys who are getting ready to break out. You can, you've got all these options of how you can rebuild. And we will talk more about that in a minute. But I do think those are the leagues where there is, there's just more of an opportunity. There's more you can do when you have deeper keepers. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm going to be using an example later in the podcast of my own team. It's in a pretty deep keeper where last season I traded for both Wander Franco and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Under the impression that I was rebuilding, I am currently in first place in that league. So the idea that this is something that needs to take a really long time and thus you should be extremely reluctant to do it is nonsense. You can turn something around pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. And and I think as we as we move along and get into how you rebuild, I think that's a big part of the conversation is how long should it take and what should it look like? And how does this differ from Dynasty is another piece of that. But before we get there, we, we've talked a little bit about there are formats where rebuilding makes more or less sense. First thing you have to do, though, is decide if you want to rebuild. <laughs> and that's that is a tough decision. And it gets easier as the season goes on because you start to get a better sense of where you're going to be, right? And right before the trade deadline in August, if you're in 11th place in a 12-team league, you know that you're done. You might as well move on. But right now, as we talked about a little bit ago, now is when teams that are buying have all of their best young assets available and the, the guys that they're, you know, they could trade you that have the most value. It's also the point at which you're actually offering those teams the most, right? Because if I'm going to trade you, let's say I've got in a league, I've got a 
I've gotten Acuna. Let's go the other way with Acuna. I'm going to sell my Ronald Acuna. If I've got an expensive Ronald Acuna or a first round Ronald Acuna that isn't that valuable as a keeper because of the cost associated with him, and I'm going to sell him now. If I sell him today, I'm selling him to a team that gets him for four and a half to five months. If I sell him in August, they get him for two months. He's a lot more valuable today. You'll get a much bigger return. He can move the standings in a bigger way for that team. And so you don't really want to wait. But I think that that does beg the question then, Pete, how do you know? How do you make the decision right now that, okay, this year isn't happening, even though it's May it's May 6th as we're recording this. How do you decide on May 6th that this isn't going to happen for me? Well, I mean, a, a lot of it, and you never want to say this, is gut. It's, it's how you feel about your team, how you feel about your individual players. You look at the best players in your team. Where were they last year, and how do you feel about them now? I think another way to tell, look at the other teams in the league. You know, are there three or four teams that are just head and shoulders better than your roster and you know it and you would trade your roster for theirs in a heartbeat if it's three or four it's probably potentially time to start start the rebuild process yeah i think that makes sense i think it also varies a bit on format in a in a head-to-head league i'm actually not worried if there are three or four teams that i think are head and shoulders above the rest if i'm going to make the playoffs because the playoffs, you don't know who's going to be hurt in September. You don't know what's going to happen over a one-week playoff matchup. Like There's so much that could happen. And so if your team has six playoff spots and you think you can get one of those six playoff spots, I'm probably not going to rebuild. I'm probably going to go and try to get that playoff spot and, and let the chips fall where they may in September. If they have four playoff spots or if you're in you know two divisions and only division winners make the, the, the final, or if you're in a roto league where... You know, if you're not first, you're last, to, to quote Ricky Bobby, then you might as well, do, you can start to think differently, right? You can start to think about that rebuild because, yeah, if you're going for first place and there are three or four teams that are just much better than you, two of them might have injury issues. One of them might underperform, but you're counting on all three or four of them to have lots of issues and your team to overperform. It's, man, it's, it's unlikely that that's going to happen and it's not the best place to be. So it, it does make a big difference there. I think the other big thing here, though, is it's not just the standings, right? And you talked about this, Pete, that use your gut, look at what your team is doing. One of the things I like to do with teams that are underperforming at this time, and by underperforming might not be the the right word. If I've got a team that's in like 10th or 11th in a 12-team league right now, I'm looking at that team and saying, what's going to change over the next, let's say, two to three months, right? Okay, this team's underperforming, but I've been missing Juan Soto for basically half the season and he should be back soon. This team is underperforming, but I've got these three pitchers who have 410 BABIPs that are going to come down. Like those are very different things and this team is underperforming and I'm not really sure I can see where they're going to get better. No, it's all good points and I, I love the point about head to head because and we can kind of connect that when you're looking at what's it going to be like going forward for me? What have I been missing to this point? Why am I so far down in the standings? Well, in a rotisserie league, you can literally measure out like, all right, it's it's probably unrealistic for me. Maybe not at this point. I think it would be a, an aggressive assessment, but it's unrealistic for me just for the sake of, of argument to win saves. And so if I can't win saves and I can't even finish top five in saves, what else does my team have to do in order to give me a shot to win this league? But you're right that that is different in head-to-head. And in head-to-head, if I'm looking at my team and I'm saying, all right, I'm in 10th out of 12th right now, but 
I know that I'm going to have Carlos Carrasco back by the end of the month. Later in the year, all of a sudden, I'm going to have Chris Sale. There's no way that Jordan Alvarez is going to finish with you know 20 homers or whatever he's on pace for now. And that changed today because he actually hit two homers. But work with me here. You you know that these things are going to begin to turn around. Like you said, all you got to do is make the playoffs, baby. And that is a whole new season at that point. So rebuilding and head-to-head, that is such a good point. I completely oppose it this early. Even if I was in 12, I would have to be in dire straits. My mind was on rotisserie where you can kind of measure it out. And I think some people might already be under the impression of like, eh, it's not happening this year. Yeah. And I think you're right to say like, it's, it's a little too early to be like, I definitely can't win saves, but I think you can start to look and say like, okay, I'm in, you know, I'm in 10th and home runs. I'm actually doing fine. And RBIs I'm actually doing fine, but like my ERA is a disaster. Okay. If my ERA is the problem, what is it going to take for my area to turn around? Oh, I've got Max Freed, who's been truly awful, but I don't think he's going to continue to be awful. I just got Gallon back, and he has only pitched a couple stars. I've got Carrasco coming back soon, and I'm going to ditch a bunch of you know end of my bench guys for those two. Like then you start to think, okay, my ERA is going to improve, and when it improves, these five teams I can pick off. I might not win ERA, but I can pick up those five points. Okay, what does that five points do? And I think you have to spend some time if you're thinking about a rebuild going through that process and looking at like, where could these points come from before you just assume that you're done? And if you find that, you know, okay, those points have to come from these five categories and I've got good opportunities to make up ground in four of them, but the fifth is saves and I have no closers. Maybe you go out and buy a closer instead of rebuilding. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think some people are probably going to see the title of this episode, whatever it ends up being, and they're going to look at the date and they're going to be like, why in God's name are they talking about rebuilding this early? But we're really not. I mean, we are because there are teams out there that you're going to look at the roster and say that has no chance. But I guess we're kind of approaching this from the other end. We're we're looking at this as it because it's so early. There are so many avenues that you could still have to compete. So just keep that in mind where before you press that demolition button, you really really come to the conclusion that you have no chance to compete. And if you do come to that conclusion, which again, I think some teams can reasonably do that. Well, now the conversation begins. Yeah. I also think you can be opportunistic here, right? If you're looking, you're thinking, okay, I can see my path to competing, but it's rough. It could happen, but it'd be, it'd be hard. It's unlikely. There's an opportunity there to test the waters, right? Say, Hey, I'm not in a fire sale yet, but Bryce Harper's available if anyone wants to talk. And maybe somebody makes you a godfather offer. I tend to be a very opportunistic trader in in all of my leagues. I buy sometimes when it looks like I shouldn't. I sell sometimes when it looks like I shouldn't. Just because if I find value that I think makes sense, I'm I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go get that value. And just as an example, in one of my leagues, I made a trade, man, maybe a week ago, a week and a half ago, to acquire you Darvish, mostly to acquire you Darvish. I also got Kevin Biggio in the deal, but I needed pitching. Darvish, it's in a auto new league where Darvish is $33, which I think may make him a keeper for me for next year. And it was an opportunistic deal where I felt like I was getting good value and I went for it. Then just a couple days ago, actually just yesterday, I made a totally different trade where I traded a $35 Anthony Rendon before he went on the IL, which is unfortunate for the other manager involved here, but worked out well for me, I guess. And a $22 Nick Castellanos for a $6 Jared Kalenic, a $2 Austin Martin, 
a $7 Carlos Rodon, and a $5 Drew Pomeranz. Now, the way my team is built in that league, I actually have other options at third base. Rendon was it's obviously great, but I have a, a cheap Josh Donaldson in that league. And my outfield is pretty deep to the point that I think I can manage without Castellanos, especially if Kalenic gets called up at some point relatively soon. Now, I'm actually in talks to acquire Bryce Harper in that league. So it seems like a crazy set of moves, but what I've basically been doing is said, I'm just going to, I'm going to balance things. I'm going to make moves that I think make sense and help my team both short-term and long-term if I think the price is right. And if you're in that situation where you're looking at your team and thinking, I'm not sure I can compete this year. Maybe I can, but it seems unlikely. Be opportunistic. Make someone make you an offer to sell your star player that you can't pass up. And if they don't make you that offer, you're not in a fire sale. You can just wait. You can you can take your time and, and wait till you get the offer you want. This is the point, though, to be to be thinking about that. And I do think there are cases, there are teams out there that are rebuilding right now, and, and rightfully so. If you are one of those teams, you've decided it's time. You've taken, you've gone through the standings. You've made sure that you really aren't going to have a good chance to compete. What do you do? Where do you start with that process, Pete? This early. This is when I start doing things like, all right, I, I'm, let's say I'm in a 12-team, 10-keeper. Well, maybe I'm going to start looking at free agency and thinking like, all right, rather than hang on to my fringe Colton Wong, who I know I'm not going to be able to land a deal for him. He's obviously not a keeper of mine. I think Colton Wong fits that type of like, here's a veteran player who's playing really well, and it's great if he's on your team, but don't try to get anything for him because nobody's going to trade for him. Maybe I say to myself, all right, I'm early in this process of, of maybe committing to a rebuild, or maybe I have committed, but I'm not ready to start trading off massive pieces. I want to see how, how the pieces kind of land here. Well, maybe I'm going to drop that Colton Wong and add like Jeter Downs. Maybe I'm going to start using my bench space to start filling it with potential as opposed to pieces that are all of a sudden I'm going to hope turn my season around when deep down I know they're not going to. I think it's a it's an easy way to... You know, we want to rip the bandaid off and, and commit to a rebuild. And I get that. But if you're, if you think there's even a shred of chance that you can compete, or even if you don't and you're committed to the rebuild, like you said, Chad, to set up this hypothetical, maybe that deal hasn't come across yet. You're still, you're still hesitant. You're like, I just can't deal Bryce Harper for, you know, uh, Julio Rodriguez or whatever it is. Well, okay. Then take a step back and start adding prospects to your bench because that spot is useless if it's filled with veteran players. I'm not sure I can endorse that with with Colton Wong. I actually think Colton Wong is going to have a really good year, and I think that he does have <laughs> value. And I, it probably depends a bit on the format, right? If you're keeping five, maybe even ten, I think Wong is not going to get. He's not going to get close to being one of your five keepers. I think he's got a shot to earn his way into your ten keepers. If you're keeping fifteen, if you're in an auto new league and there's a one dollar Colton Wong, I think that he is potentially a keeper. But that's a that's a different a different conversation. I do think, though, the idea of dropping dropping those non-keepers to try to find keepers. So in my, I have a head-to-head league that uses a $260 cap, 25-man rosters. We have three relief pitcher spots, and saves are one of the categories in that league. One of the things I've done in that league when I've been struggling is drop my closers in an attempt to get really cheap closers. And so I'll do something like, oh, this guy just got one save. I think there's a chance, like Josh Stalmont is a good example of this. Stalmont is good. I think that there's a chance he could hold that job long-term. I might drop an overpriced closer 
to make a $1 bid on Stallmont and hope that I get him for $1. And if I don't, I don't. If someone else bids five, someone else bids five and who cares? But if nobody does, now I've got a $1 closer. And that guy in a, in a league where you're keeping enough spots and where closers are valuable enough becomes super useful as a closer, as a keeper. And so I think that's really, really smart to say, okay, if you've got a, you've got a bench middle infielder you don't want and you think you can go grab Jeter Downs, do it. If you've got a, a closer who's overpriced, you don't think has a lot of trade value and you can drop him, even if he's a closer, even if you think he's not a cut, if he's a cut at the keeper deadline, cut him now and get somebody who might not be. And I think it's that's just a really smart way to think about it. I think, you know, we, we talk about this with with fab pickups anyways, that like you can't get too precious about the guys in your roster. If there's someone who's on the the wire who's a better pickup, go get them. Don't don't hold a guy just because you think he should have trade value or something like that. Cut them and get the better player. That's true in this case too. It's true in a rebuild. You're just shifting your thinking from drop him for the better player to help you win this year to drop him for a better player to help you win next year or in the future or whatever. In a way, we just look at it as you're collecting assets. You're collecting assets and you're taking your assets that you think are going to be losing value to get the longer term, higher value ones. And although that sounds obvious, sometimes it's important to boil it down because I want to go back to your example of, you know, in one breath, you, you traded away you Darvish for prospects, but in the next you're about to trade for Bryce Harper. That's the smart way to look at it. Because if, if you just feel like you're going to get better assets, you're, you're going to improve the overall quality of your team going forward, well, then those trades will figure out themselves. Maybe you want to compete right now, but you trade you Darvish away for Jared Kalenic because you know you can then turn around Jared Kalenic and get a bigger upgrade than you Darvish. So it's important to not get so narrow focused and just say, I'm committing, I'm, I'm getting all prospects here. I'm just going to up load up MLB pipeline and, and try to get every top 20 prospect and that's going to be my team. Because a lot of those guys are going to bust and then you're going to be in the same place you found yourself in. So look at it as you are just acquiring assets that you think are going to be are going to get you where you want to go as quickly as possible. That's the beauty of a rebuild, too, because when you're competing, you actually can't necessarily do that when you're competing. Sometimes when you're competing, you need to go get a closer or you need to go get somebody who's going to steal you some bases or you need to go get whatever it is you need to go get. When you're rebuilding, that's not true. You've got a draft and a whole offseason and everything coming up before you're trying to compete again, which means that if you go and you destroy your middle infield to build the greatest outfield ever assembled, you get to fix that middle infield over the offseason. And so you actually have this wonderful opportunity that's, that I find kind of freeing to just go get the best pieces you can get. The other thing that I think is a really important step here, though, is you need to be very aware of what your keeper rules are and start to plan out what your offseason is going to look like. And that can be as simple as, we have 10 keepers, here's the 10 guys on my team who are keepers right now, and here's the next three I would keep if I had to. But having something like that makes a big difference because when you're evaluating a trade, I think one of the things people underrate when they evaluate a trade in keeper league is, if I go out and I trade two guys who are not keepers for someone who I think is a keeper, somebody else gets bumped off my keeper list. And so you're really trading that guy away too. You're losing that player. Is there anything you do to help sort of plan your offseason, any process you go through, anything like that? It's a, it's a fair question. And so in that particular instance, let, let's go back. Let's say, you know, it's your, you want to upgrade a keeper, but to do that, you're also going to be not keeping another player. So it's basically like you're trading him away as well. 
Well, then that means I'll literally trade that player away and aim even higher in the return. So I think that is still a, a possibility. You're right that you need to really evaluate your offseason. That's why it's important that the rules are crystal clear on what draft pick you're going to have and what players are going to be available and when the keeper lock date is so that you could come up with a plan. But I'm 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 essentially a, a best player available type of guy. I'm open to whatever plan is going to to take shape. You know I prioritize pitching, but it, when it comes to deeper keeper leagues, like I said, I'm about acquiring assets. I'm viewing everything as I'm not going to take this fine veteran player and and drop him for Christian Robinson or Hunter Bishop. If I'm going to do that, like my Colton Wong example earlier, it's going to be for a prospect like Jeter Downs, just to go back to that same exact example, who I think is going to be up at the end of the year. And if it's if if we're talking preparing for the draft, well, then I'm I'm looking what younger players are going to help me as soon as possible. So I'm a little bit all, all over the map there, but I hope the point is, is coming across clear where this should not be a super long-term thing. And when you do have the benefit of planning in advance out your offseason, make it so that you're you're setting yourself up to compete as soon as possible. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think when when I do a rebuild, and it depends a little bit on the league and what I expect other managers to be doing and stuff like that. But when I do a rebuild in general, what I'm gonna do is trade for players who I think will be ready to help me by May of the next season. Right. I don't want to say by opening day because you know that there's going to be some <laughs> service time shenanigans that are going to hold guys down longer than it should. But, you know, in, in an auto new league where it's really deep, I, I'm interested in a guy like Marco Luciano because I think he's just so high ceiling, but he's kind of far off. I'm not interested in Jason Dominguez. I'm just not. I'm not going to acquire him. I don't value him. I would trade for him if he came really cheap in the hopes that somebody else would give me more for him later. But I don't want to sit on him for the next four years, which you could be sitting on him that long before he debuts. I'm just not interested in guys like that. So I'm looking, if I'm trading for prospects, if I'm adding prospects, I'm looking an awful lot at their ETA. And if I'm rebuilding, that ETA doesn't have to be this year, but it better be this year or next. And if it's not one of those, like if it's, if you're looking at a guy right now and he's got a 2023-2024 ETA, you better have good reason to believe he's going to beat that, um, or be in a you know maybe you're in a format where that that's acceptable. There are cases of that. In most of my leagues, I I don't think it is. In auto new leagues in general, I don't believe you should be trading for guys who are that far off. But that's just me, and I, I think that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be rebuilding to like go out and win next year. I think especially in a league like Auto New where it is deeper and you you can take a little bit more time to build. It's totally acceptable to say I'm going to target 2023 instead of 2022 because I think I've got a, a lot of work ahead of me and I'm going to take that time to do it. That's fine. It's not usually what I would do, but I totally get why you would do that. But it, but even in that case, target guys with 2022 ETAs because what you want is for them to you want to trade for them now and by the time you get to the keeper deadline next season you want to know what you got because the year that you're going to compete, you want to go into your draft feeling really good about these 10 spots are filled. These 10 spots are filled by guys I traded for who are really good, who I'm very happy with. And now in my draft, I can do what I need to do. That makes total sense. I, it brings me back to a trade I made earlier in a keeper league because you, you, you dropped the name Jason Dominguez, where somebody who's in like some extreme rebuild traded me Andrew Vaughn for Jason Dominguez. And like, Okay, maybe you think that Dominguez has a much higher ceiling and maybe long term you're thinking I'm going to need this outfield help, but you're, you're trading a young, highly touted prospect who's on the cusp 
for a much younger touted prospect who doesn't have that ETA until like 2024 or whatever it may be. And I don't mean to direct the conversation so much towards prospects either. Right, Chad? Because I think it's important to note, rebuild, that doesn't necessarily mean that you just have to commit to all of these players who are in double and triple A either. It doesn't even necessarily have to mean that you're committing to guys who are 24, 25 at the major league level. I think people in general, from my experience, tend to actually overvalue those guys. So if you find yourself in 10th place and you think you're a few moves away from actually making some real noise, maybe you do trade away Julio Rodriguez because there's going to be some guy in your league, some guy or some girl in your league who says, wow, Julio Rodriguez is available and I'm in my own rebuild. Here, take all of these high quality players because I want to rebuild around this player. Take advantage of that. And all of a sudden your rebuild is just accelerated by, you know, a year. Yeah. In in my rebuilds, I mean, the guys I'm looking at are breakouts, inexpensive major league veterans in some cases. The, I, I mentioned that I'm talking to someone about uh, Bryce Harper right now. The guys he's inquired on my team are players like Will Myers, who I have at $6 in that league. Jared Walsh, who I have at, I think, even less, maybe $3 in that league. Um, a cheap Marcus Stroman. Now, there's other players involved. It's going to, you know, we'll have to figure out what the full deal looks like. There's also a chance that I won't be the one who gets Harper. He'll send him somewhere else. But he's not asking for a bunch of prospects who are far off, who, who may or may not have any value. He's trying to rebuild quickly. And I think what he wants to do, if, if I'm sort of putting myself in his shoes is he wants to go make a trade that allows him to go into next season saying, I don't have Harper, but I do have the other four outfielders I need to have a really good outfield. And I don't have to worry about whether these players are good or not. I know that they are good. Then in the auction, I can go and I can pay for whether it's Harper or someone like Harper to, to cap off that outfield and put me over the top. And I do think that that makes a big difference in auction leagues versus draft leagues, where in in auctions, you have a lot more flexibility. I talked before about, you know, I completely destroyed my middle infield rebuilding because I built up a great outfield. Well, in an auction, you can then just go and pay for all the best middle infielders if that's what you need. In a draft, that can be a little bit harder if the guys don't fall to you and things like that. You might have a little less control. I'm much more likely in an auction to accept the fact that I've overloaded myself in one spot and left myself empty in another. Whereas in a draft, I may feel more need to have balance because I'm a little bit worried that in a draft, I just won't get, I won't be able to overload in a draft the way I'd like. In general, I think that that point of go get, go get established guys is, is a really good one. You know, you're, you're beginning to tie in, obviously, Otnew and salary cap leagues. And, and I can't help, obviously, but think of my only Otnew team where, as I've said many times before, I wish I cut more players, right? I wish I freed up myself so I could have more fun in the auction and and really begin to build a pitching staff because all it took was that Tommy John surgery for James Paxton and my staff went from awful to whatever adjective is worse than awful. I, I don't know, atrocious maybe. Very awful. But now I'm looking at very, very awful might, might work. But now I'm looking at it and I say, okay, I've got a $13 Julio Urias who... Is, it seems to be breaking out. He's going super deep into games. We can talk about that some other time. And then I, I took some some shots in the dark, right? I, I just bid uh, and landed at a $4 Daniel Lynch, which is definitely aggressive, but I'm going to combine that with my $2 Logan Gilbert, and I can begin to see the emergence of a rotation. But I'm also not going to panic about it because I know I'm going to cut a bunch of players. I know my hitting is still going to be elite. And I know at, at 
at auction, I'm going to be able to land whatever starting pitcher I want because I'm not going to limit myself. And I have confidence in my ability to then land a couple of studs and maybe get a few guys for a buck. And my rotation has turned around completely in one season. Yeah, and I think that's something you can do if you if you make the right trades when you rebuild, if you make the right free agent acquisitions in the season, you can turn that around over the course of a single season. You can go from leaving an auction feeling like this team's probably not there to in May determining, yeah, it's definitely not there, I need to rebuild, to the next April hitting the season thinking, I got this. I've got a team that's capable of competing this year. And, and for me, that's if I'm going to rebuild, that's the target, right? That That is my goal when I rebuild is go get those guys who are going to help me as soon as possible so that I can try to win now or at least soon. Now, we talked before about the importance of sort of knowing who your keepers are. One of the things I do every year as soon as for any team, as soon as my thoughts turn to the next season, whether that's now because I'm debating a rebuild or whether it's later in the year because it's just time to start thinking about the next season, I create a just a spreadsheet that lists my players, what cost they're going to have for me next year, whether that's a, a draft round or a salary or anything like that, and whether or not I plan to keep them. And if I'm going to keep them, I often, especially in leagues, so auto new leagues, this doesn't matter because in auto new leagues, you can keep everybody if you want to keep everybody as long as you can afford them. In So in, in leagues with a salary cap like that, I look at what my total salary is going to be and how I'm doing and what that would be. In leagues where I'm limited to the number of keepers, I then rank my keepers. And if I'm going to rebuild, I do that before I rebuild. And I use that as sort of my guide. And I start to, it allows me to move things around and play around with like, okay, if I traded these two guys and got this guy, what do you know? Okay. I lose those two keepers, but I've added this keeper. And now I get this other guy who, who suddenly moves up from my 16th spot on the outside, looking in to my 15th spot being a keeper. And like that guy's got value too. So I, I would really recommend if you're going to rebuild, take the time to do that. The other thing is, and this can help with that, and something you talked about before, Pete, accept marginal upgrades. Like, don't feel like every trade you have to make has to be, I traded you 250 cent pieces and I got a dollar. If you've got limited keeper spots, trading two 75 cent players for a dollar player is a good deal for you. Trading a 90 cent player and a 50 cent player for a dollar player might be a good deal for you if that 50 cent player it wasn't going to be a keeper anyways or if you have another keeper who's just as good right so if you if you're looking at a team and you're going to keep 10 guys and you have three or four studs and 12 guys who are worth keeping but vary from an okay keeper to a good keeper but none of them are great trading those trading away any of those lower guys, even if you think they're keepers, for even a marginal upgrade on one of your studs is worth it because you're going to replace that keeper with someone good anyways. And you're going to you're going to strengthen yourself at the top. So it goes back to that, you know, that Acuna example we gave before. Like if you can trade 90% of Acuna plus a starting pitcher for a for to get Acuna, do it. You've made yourself better the next year if that's what you're aiming to do. And that piece, those upper end pieces they don't need to be permanent on your team because all of a sudden, if you're if you're the guy with Ronald Acuna Jr., who knows what you could get in return for him if he continues the current pace he's on or next year, you know, he goes into next year as the reigning MVP who just went 40-40. That trade value can also go up and you can turn around and flip him and continue to improve your team if you want it to get deeper as opposed to heavier at the top. So it, it's never, you're never done 
whether you're competing or you're rebuilding, it is it is a process that is never done. It's never finished. And you're always looking to improve. So absolutely list out those keepers. Because when you list out those keepers and, and you decide on those 10, well, now you know going into the draft, how much risk am I willing to take on? In the first round, am I gonna be am I gonna be willing to take Ian Anderson? If if we were going into this year, a guy who had, you know, eight or whatever it was great starts last year, or should I maybe play it a little bit safe? And draft a pitcher like, I don't know, name a safe pitcher. I guess people viewed Sandy Alcantara as as pretty safe going into the season. So like that, it's never ending and you're always evaluating and setting yourself up in situations like that is only going to be advantageous in the long run. Yeah. You're trying to think of safe pitchers. I'm like, I I don't know. (laughs) That's not my mantra. So Jacob deGrom seems safe and now he's hurt. So right. nobody is is, safe. You're never safe. There's no safe pitching. But. I want to make sure we get to your auto new question of the day. You got something, got something rebuild focused for me. I do. Yeah. I mean, on topic here. So I've mentioned my odd new team every five seconds and I'm, I'm going to mention it again, but I mean, you're in this league, so I'm not telling you, you know, asking you, Hey, I'm what beating you this week. In fact, you? you are, you are, but I am all, I'm winning my other matchup there you go. this week. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm just going to keep the one in one pace until something happens. Unfortunately, but that's what's bottom happening line. to me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there are weeks where everybody goes one and one and it's like was that just a giant waste of time so, somebody's <laughs> got to go two and oh right because somebody has to outscore someone has to have the highest score of the week that team has I to guess. go two and oh. oh yeah you're right yeah okay that makes but sense. in theory i got think it. everyone else and someone has to have the lowest <laughs> score and go oh and two but in theory everyone else could go one and one yeah okay yeah i'm not a math guy but that that definitely adds up to me <laughs> but my team is my team is like it's if you look at it, you can't tell what it is because I'm rostering a $47 Mookie Betts and a $33 Alex Bregman and Francisco Lindor $36. What a disaster that is. And then I've got prospects all over the place. So I think I'm one of those teams that even though to this point it hasn't been an embarrassment, I'm pretty happy with my showing so far at three and five. I'm definitely starting to think like, all right, this is obviously a long-term format. I, I maybe should start thinking long-term. So when you've got a situation like this, let's say you've got elite hitting in horrible pitching, or you've got elite pitching and horrible hitting, and you have to rebuild. So basically, you have pieces that you can move, but they're also going to be pretty good long term. I mean, I know I sound all over the place again, but what do you do in these situations when you have to rebuild in not new? Because we've talked about this before, we have, but it's only May, and we didn't put that stipulation in. It is May. You're three and five, or you're four and four, or maybe you're above 500, and you're thinking, I just don't think this team has it. What are you looking to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your roster right now just because I'm sort of curious what you've got. And so a couple of things. One, we talked earlier about the fact that you don't have to sell today. There's an advantage to selling today in that if you decide to move Mookie Betts today, somebody who gets Mookie Betts for four and a half months is going to pay more for him than someone gets him for two months later in the year. And so you may get an offer that's just too good to pass up. And, and so... You don't have to do that, though. You can just sort of be opportunistic. The other thing is, and this is where spending time looking at who your keepers are and what your salary situation is going to look like. And out of new leagues, this is a huge thing. Use the roster organizer, right? So go to the roster organizer and start to piece together, okay, I would keep this guy. I would get rid of that guy. And you can start to see what your salary is going to look like. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that that doesn't account for arbitration or salary increases. So if you're keeping 20 guys, you got to add $40, $2 per guy for increase, plus you're probably going to get something like $25 in arbitration hit on you. 
So you want to account for that. There's actually a way to do that in the roster organizer. You can you can add in, you can basically create players and assign names and values to them. I'm looking at the the roster organizer right now, playing around right. with it. I've imaginary imagining I'm cutting Wilson Contreras and Tommy Pham, for example. Yeah. So there's a couple of things you can do with that that roster organizer, right? One is you can start to piece together what does my salary cap situation look like, and can I keep Mookie Betts? Can I keep Trey Turner? Can I keep Alex Bregman, who are your some of your most expensive, most interesting players? And if you're looking at your, your situation, you're saying, I could probably keep two of these guys, but not all of them. Or I could keep all of them. Maybe you don't trade them. Or maybe you are more opportunistic. Maybe it's, hey, guys, I'm, I'm looking to rebuild. Betts is available, but I'm planning to keep him. So you better you better pay up. And maybe somebody will. Don't assume that you have to trade your most expensive player because he's your most expensive player. That's not how a rebuild should work. Trade the guys who you don't think you can keep or don't think you want to keep. If you can trade Lindor now, especially given I expect you'll keep Turner, like Lindor isn't, even if Lindor turns things around, he isn't that valuable to you. Same thing with either Bregman or Rendon. Bregman's going to lose shortstop eligibility. Those guys will both be third base only for next season. There's no corner infield spot. So yes, you could use one of them at third base and one of them at util, but it's also relatively easy to replace a util player. So I would be shopping one of those two if I were rebuilding, if I were in your shoes. It's a tough call here because on the one hand, Rendon at $40 is probably the less enticing keeper than Bregman. Bregman with that shortstop eligibility this year, he's in an interesting space where somebody can pay you for him like he's a shortstop but you're not giving up him as a shortstop because you can't use him. You won't be using him as a shortstop next year. So I'd be looking at those two. And if you think you can keep, if you think you want to keep one of them and you don't care which one of them you keep, or if you have a preference for keeping Bregman, but you'd be fine keeping Rendon, I would just see who you get a better return for. If you're looking at that and thinking Rendon at 42 next year, I'd really be much happier with Bregman then shop Rendon. You'll get less for him, but that's fine. I would also then be looking at like, can you do some smaller deals? Can you turn around a Randall Gritchuk who's getting you know over five points a game? He's not great, but he's been solid. Can you just get something small for him? Or can you package him with a, I don't know, Rizal Iglesias has been so bad. He's probably not a good example. With a Chad Green, right? Relievers are relatively easy to replace. Could you package Green and Gritchuk and get something that's more useful? Even if it's not someone that exciting, if those guys aren't keepers, they're, they're not keepers. And so now the other piece of this is you don't want to go out there and trade guys who have just no value, right? You don't want to go shop Marwin Gonzalez. He's not doing anything. He's, he hasn't been worth anything. He's probably not going to turn around. No one's giving you anything of value for Marwin Gonzalez right now. I don't think if they do great, but like, I think I would have to, I would have to package Mookie Betts with Marwin Gonzalez (laughs) just to get rid of Marwin Gonzalez. The other thing you can do, by the way, is you can trade cap space. Like let's say Iglesias is just, he's a $14 reliever. Who's just not performing. Now I think Iglesias is a pretty good pitcher. I think he'll probably figure things out. And so I probably wouldn't do anything yet, but He's a guy who you could trade to someone who wants cap space because they could just cut him and get $7 of cap space immediately. And then if he gets re-auctioned by someone, get another $7. So think about everything you have and how those are valued. And like You've got $20 in cap space. So you don't necessarily need to go out and get a bunch more cap space, but that means you could give away cap space in a trade. 
And so, you know, use that to your advantage. The, the last thing is just like, make sure when I'm looking at your team, be realistic about how many of your pitchers you're going to keep and stuff like that. Like I'm looking at like Urias and like Boyd's been pitching well. Montgomery's been pitching decently. I think Lynch will probably be good. Dunn is still showing some signs. Tyone is still showing some signs. Like you've got a bunch of, of good, interesting, at least starting pitchers. Realistically, you're not going to want to go into next season with all of those guys in your rotation. There's too much risk. And so you want to take your time, figure out which of those guys you really want to keep and which one of those guys you're going to, you're okay passing on and either trade the guys you're willing to pass on. Even if you're trading to buy, like you could buy right now to buy somebody who you think you might keep or who you might flip later. Um, either do that or cut those guys for guys who you think you might keep or just sit on them and wait to see who breaks out so that you can make smarter decisions in the off season. Any of those are options. The last thing I would say for you is I don't think you have that many expensive players, which means one of the things you can do as other teams start to sell, if another team is selling and they put a star on the block that you're like, that guy seems like a keeper to me, buy him. And and don't worry about the fact that, that other, you know, it, it looks like a buy. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're getting a guy who is super valuable who you get to keep. So I would I would just look at that as well. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm going to do a quick recap for our listeners. Now, Chad basically just gave a nice autopsy of my team, and I certainly have a lot of homework now. But I think there's a lot of obvious themes here that are that are carrying over. So use the roster organizer. Make sure you plan out. Be realistic about who you plan on keeping. Or, or you may have a bunch of nice young names, but if it's too much risk and you're not going to keep all of them, maybe begin to to start looking to move them. This part, I couldn't agree more with. Do not just sell your studs just for the sake of selling your studs. If you have an awesome player and it's it's on a good contract or whatever it might be, even if you have to maybe give up a third round pick or whatever it might be to keep them, and now I'm getting a little bit off off new, but I think this holds up no matter what. Don't just sell them. I mean that that's that's your turnaround piece right there. Repetitive positions. Make sure you weigh your options in in new. Like yes, we have the middle infield position. We have a utility in in this particular format. But that that's really going to limit me once Bregman loses that shortstop eligibility and, and all of a sudden I have Rendon, Bregman, Trey Turner, and Francisco Lindor. It's just not realistic. Trade one, package them with a reliever a little bit easier to replace. Try to trade cap space if you have the ability to. Right now I have 20 bucks. I have a few bids in that I'm hoping that, that some of that cap space begins to disappear because I'm looking at some of these players. But use that cap space that you have. You can trade it or you can utilize it to trade for more expensive better players and take advantage of the cheap contracts like you have not to brag but a one dollar nico horner does that sum it up chad yeah that sounds good that was uh you even got your one dollar nico horner mentioned in there he's, <laughs> it's, it's he's my one claim to fame we've moved on from tanner hauk nico yes. horner is now pete pete's obsession Never. of the month Never, never. Just a Hauk update. He he struggled his first start at AAA, but that's just because he's he's like, why am I facing these guys? I should be in the major that's leagues. That's right. Anyways, that is our episode on rebuilds. At least our first one. There may be more episodes on rebuilds as the season goes on because this is such an important topic in keeper leagues. Thank you all, as always, for listening. Remember to subscribe everywhere. Podcasts are subscribable. Leave us ratings and reviews. Follow us at Keep or Cut. Cut with a K at Keep or Cut on Twitter. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can follow me at Chad Young. Love to hear from you. Love to know what you want to hear on upcoming episodes. So don't hesitate to reach out and we'll talk to you next week.